This is American Fashion Podcast. I'm Charles Beckwith here with Kathy Sheppis. Hi, everyone. And uh, our guests across the internet are Karsten Newberry, who is the Chief Strategy and Digital Officer at Gerber Technology. Hi there, great to be on. And Mary McFadden, who is the Vice President of CAD Product Management, also at Gerber Technology. Uh, hello, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Gerber Technology is basically under the fashion industry. It, it holds it up. Uh, you guys make the technology that that makes the digital side of fashion possible to a large extent. You have a couple of competitors, but um, in most fashion studios, you walk in and you see Gerber machines. Um, can you talk about the the different components that go into what Gerber uses to enable this entire chain of, of from ideation out to production and logistics. Yeah, so we'd be happy to. I'll take a shot at it, and Mary, you can add to it if I miss anything. So uh, again, great to be on. Yeah, we've been uh, in the uh, not just fashion industry, we call it flexible materials industries, but fashion is our, our largest segment. We've been in this space for uh, about 50 years, innovating. Uh, and essentially what we like to say is we help clothe the world, right? We don't make clothes themselves, but we help others do it. And um, we provide automation tools, both software and equipment for the design development and production of fashion. So that includes things like on the front end side, um, pattern development software, 3D simulation software, PLM software to help with uh, the now increasingly digital creation of products. So from an idea to the finished product ready to be made. And then we've got the production tools, be it the machines, you know, the cutters, but also a lot of software around optimization, nesting, planning, um, more, you know, the development tools on the production side that help uh, make the garments. And then, you know, we also have a pretty vast ecosystem of technology companies we work with that help augment that process that we support. And we do have a long, long history in the industry. Mr. Gerber invented the technology for cutting textiles and soft goods in the 60s. And we even have a display in the Smithsonian. Uh, Mr. Gerber was awarded the National Medal of Technology. Love that. That's an interesting point is that um, we often talk about fashion tech and fashion technology, but fashion itself is a technology. It, it is something we use to protect ourselves and and it's all engineering. It really is. Um, you know, there's a style aspect to it, but foundationally, it is technology. We, we have woven something around ourselves to protect ourselves as we go out into the world. That's true. And we, we have many customers that do, um, you know, advanced uniforms, protective wear, ballistic gear, military. Um, so we have customers on all different aspects of the spectrum in terms of wearable product, or as Karsten said, soft materials, whether it's automotive seating, windmill blades, uh, aerospace. You know, one of the super exciting aspects I find, you know, a lot of, you know, obviously there's been a lot of digitization uh, in, in the fashion industry as well, especially in recent years, you know, e-commerce has driven a lot of it. Um, but, you know, compared to other industries that have gone digital as well, like the book industry, right, or music, um, the, the unique aspect of clothes always being a real end product. I mean, people are still going to wear something real, right? So this is, I think, one of the unique things where you really have to bring together that you know, 
reality aspect of a garment that needs to fit well. It needs to look, not just look good, but it needs to fit well and feel good. Uh, so to bring together that digital and the real component. So what does Gerber technology do in order to assist in the consistency of a fit? Or is it, and maybe this is a crazy question, is it all still just reliant upon input? It's actually a great question. Mary, do you want to start with that and I can um, add to it? or Because um, Mary deals a lot with, with fit, and I think that's where some of our, our roots are actually in helping know, designers create fit. Yeah, and for a, for a successful brand, uh, fit is the DNA for that successful brand. So we need to provide tools that allow our customers to uh, reliably achieve that consistent fit, um, starting with a strong software system for developing patterns, uh, for creating the grade rules to get consistent sizing, um, tools to allow our customers to do made-to-measure applications and, and on-demand offerings, um, and 3D to allow our customers to analyze the fit of those patterns that they are creating, um, you know, all within an end-to-end -end workflow that lets them de deliver that final manufactured product. So the 3D portion of it, I imagine, was huge in terms of assisting on the fit side, right? Because you're not having to wait for a garment to put it on and say, you know, uh -oh, what was wrong with that pattern? Right. And, and what's so important about the 3D solution that we offer is it's got a very powerful cloth simulation engine. And our goal is to create a simulation that really represents the true physical patterns. So the role of a pattern maker is to create patterns that achieve the designer's intent and the fit of that garment on a specific body type. So when you do the 3D simulation, if there's an error in the pattern, it's really important that that gets shown in the simulation. So we don't always want to be able to create you know, just a really nice image that you might present as a marketing image um, in the pattern development process and when we're validating graded sizes in 3D as well, we have to make sure that it shows the true effect of the pattern. Yeah, 3D, 3D is just one more point on that. 3D is one component of fit. And, you know, this whole notion of fit has evolved a little bit because, you know, first it, it, it was, you know, there, there's some made to measure, obviously, that's been around, but fit was more about making sure the right, you know, the quality of the production is what you designed it to be. Now, increasingly with consumers wanting to have their own personal product, right, wanting to have it fit them, right, not just being a size, but fitting them, the technology actually ripples through the whole process. You know, it's starting with being able to integrate with technologies that scan, you know, body data, or, or take that off, you know, pictures from, from um, you know, a person, translate that to patterns that then scale to the right fit of that person, not just a small, medium, large, but, you know, it's your size now. And then turning that through the whole process into production to make sure that that can actually be made in an efficient way, still at scale, but fitting an individual. So fit, you know, 3D's played a huge role and will continue to play an even bigger role, I think, on the design and development side. But then there's the whole, you know, rest of the workflow too, making sure that um, garments do really fit to what a consumer wants. 
if you visit a car factory today, there are more robots than people. Um, but if you visit most garment factories, there are more people than machines. So what does this look like for the fashion business as we move forward? Are, are we looking at like, you know, the Toyota engine, you close the hood and drive it for a hundred thousand miles and it never needs to be serviced or is it still going to be interactive for people doing manual labor? Yeah. So I think there are a few components to this. Um, you know, first of all, on the design side, um, you know, there is a definite, obviously, creative element in in fashion. And um, we see technology more increasingly assisting humans in new ways as opposed to replacing them, definitely on the creative side. On the production side, there's some automation. You, know, you can even argue the cutting machine has uh, taken away a lot of the manual cutting and it's a lot more efficient. Um, sewing today is still very manual. Um, it's not something we do directly in terms of automating sewing, at least not at this point. But there are some companies out there that are getting into sewbotics and, and automating it, but it's incredibly difficult. And I would say we're probably you know, five to 10 years out to get that to any meaningful like automation. But while that's happening, I also see an opportunity really for new, more tech-oriented jobs for the human. So, you know, people won't go away, but it's more how the tools can assist them to do greater things. Frankly, do it more sustainably, you know, leverage things that have been out there, collaborate more with each other around the world to, to create unique things. Um, so... Um, yes, if you look at any kind of given like manual hand cutting was replaced by automated cutting, right? So that's where the robot, so to speak, takes over. But that person is now able, you know, with the right training and support to go do higher value added activities. And that's where I think we as an industry also need to keep that focus on education and training our workforce to, you know, frankly, work on really, really exciting things and, and have that opportunity. Are you able to see where the garment industry is moving physically in the world as you know china gets too expensive where are they they going yeah, yeah. it's it's actually a great question you know, it's one of the things i spent you know quite a bit of time on strategically because i mean you could see it going from the western countries to china initially you know china wages have gone up then you know vietnam cambodia bangladesh is kind of the next bit next wave and then more recently some of the african countries especially ethiopia you know were, were heavily um in the focus. And, you know, on the one hand, we see some of that will continue for a little while, but you can also see, especially like Vietnam is a great example. You know, it, it really actually isn't that cheap from a labor cost perspective anymore to make in Vietnam, but they've taken huge um, steps in automating um, what they do and how they do it. So you still find a, a, a lot of manual labor there, but it's evolving. And, and we see this happening around the world, which is also why we believe in, in, uh, new manufacturing models because um, you can only focus on that low cost labor perspective for so long. And then you're, you're going to run out of physically out of countries, at least on this planet to, to go do that. I think okay. we have a ways to go a little bit on that. <laughs> we, we, we do, but there are other trends like, you know, COVID tariffs that um, support the notion of not having a supply chain that can be disrupted as easily. Uh, and actually, we ran some economic models that, um, you know, we as an industry have been so obsessed with the lowest possible unit cost of production that we've forgotten about the end result of what happens. So, for example, if you make a garment very low cost at, you know, single digit dollars, 
But then, you know, you ship it around the world, you have a ton of inventory, you give discounts on, you know, 50% of it, and then you throw 15 to 20% away because nobody buys it. Um, if you actually then do the unit, you know, profit calculation on that garment, it's not that low cost anymore, right? So um, there's some automated on-demand models that actually do compete financially very well with, with that low-cost production. So it's also a mindset. It's not just, you know, trying to chase the needle, as we say, around the, the lowest-cost uh, country. So 3D-wise, um, and you were, start, you were talking about customers and fit, and obviously with online sales and um returns have increased incredibly. So does Gerber actually have technology that can then be utilized by the consumer? Because yes, I understand everyone... there, there is fit technology, right? That you can use from your phone, I think. Yeah, so maybe, maybe I'll start with that and then Mary can add a little bit to what we're doing on 3D. So from a, I mean, typically we've been a B2B company, but increasingly we're, we're helping the businesses engage with the consumers on the e-commerce side. So for example, um, you know, we have a partner that we, you know, several partners that we work with that can capture consumer data around, um, you know, measurements, sizing, and then we process that data to then make sure that, you know, the, the specific sizes um, get made. Uh, we tip our software typically doesn't engage directly with the consumer. But we help brands and retailers, um, you know, engage and collect that data and then process it. Mary, do you want to talk maybe a little bit about 3D and some of the things we, we are doing in that space? Yeah, so both with 3D and Made to Measure, um, our systems can leverage the consumer data that come from these applications that the consumer can use on their phone. So, for example, um, by taking a couple of photographs of yourself, standing in a, you know, in a kind of a pose posture, um, applications like 3D Look can generate a 3D avatar as well as your body measurements. The avatar can then be used for 3D simulations and the body measurements can be used to automatically modify the patterns to your fit. And we've offered made-to-measure solutions for um, many decades. And if you think of the original model would have been the consumer walks into the retail brick and mortar environment and gets measured with a tape measure. And those measurements would be uploaded to an ERP system and then get pushed into Accumark, our CAD solution. So today in place of that, the consumer can take the photographs and the measurements are extracted from the photographs. And then that data can be pushed from the brand or manufacturer's ERP system uh, right into our CAD system. Mm. That's yeah, great. we also work with companies like TrueFit that actually are more on the consumer side that track, you know, consumer behavior purchases then integrate with our PLM system to, you know, marry that up with the tech packs and the right products that the consumer, you know, might like based on their uh, previous behavior. PLM is product lifecycle management, right? So what, what does that entail? Yeah. So in simple terms, you know, product lifecycle management or PLM, you know, we talk about that helping a brand or a designer go from an idea, initial idea to a digitally defined product, right? So people call that tech packs. It's basically a specification. You know, if I design a new product, um, you know, it's got materials, it's got accessories, it's got styles, it's got colors, 
and certain specifications that need to be defined and all that gets housed in PLM and also PLM allows you to do that, you know, in a very collaborative way across, you know, locations and, and different groups and, and people um, to come up with that definition. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Mary. Oh, that's okay. I was going to just continue with the consumer um, aspect where we had talked before about collecting measurements, um, but our brand customer can also set up things like style options or fabric prints that the consumer can do an online order and all of that information is captured and then it drives um, production of those consumer orders. What's the impact of a designer using a unique textile and trying to use these, these digital systems that are already kind of automated? Well, that's where the benefits of digital textile printing comes in. So the, the uh, brand or manufacturer is just keeping the white good in stock and then offer can, can offer a variety of texture prints and the consumer can choose what they want um, and then the fabric gets printed. And there are many benefits to that because then you're not doing color forecasting 18 months out. You can be more flexible. You don't have all of this um, unused inventory of fabric uh, that you hold on to if, if your forecasting <laughs> didn't, uh, wasn't accurate. Um, so there are many benefits to the on-demand textile printing. But does this efficiency force brands to go toward textiles that are kind of uniform in, in terms of their, their texture, like rather than a, a kind of radically deformed textile um, that might require hand sewing, they would go with something that's simpler just because it's, it fits in the system? You mean, Today, I'm sorry, Charles, you, you mean uniform to the market at large? No, I mean, as in like a frayed material that, that maybe has three layers and two of the layers have been cut and, you know, broken up, that sort of thing. I mean, is it limiting, is technology automation limiting kind of the choices on the design side? Uh, yeah. To what extent is it? Yeah. Um, you know, th there's, there's some, so for example, if you take digital printing, um, there's some applications that lend themselves a little bit better to it than, than others, but by and large, um, you know, the technology has come a, a really long way. And it, it's interesting because Mary mentioned digital printing. It actually gives you, in some ways, more creative options because now you can take one material and, for example, print on it, and it gives you effects like um, you know something may may not be velvet at all, but it may look very velvety all of a sudden, right? Or you can start printing on on denim and get um, special effects. So um, yeah, there may be some restrictions. I, I do think generally the the fabric and the material side to, to Kathy's question has still has a ways to go in terms of being digitized. But um, there, there's quite a bit of progress that's being made, too. And um, some, some really interesting things, one of the partners, a uh, company called Digimark that we're working with, is now able to embed uh, like QR code-like um, information on a print that's not visible to the human eye. So you can't even see that it's basically digitally marked. But then when you scan it, you can pull up things like, you know, this material it was made or this garment was made here in this location by this person with with these materials. And you, you'll be able to use that for recycling down the road, too, um, because today you know, one of the barriers of recycling is that you don't know what went into the material. Now, if you can tag it, and you can know that at the end of its life, 
you can do all kinds of things. So there are a lot of interesting new applications that are developing, um, but still some challenges um, also as well in, in handling all that digital information. Does that play into using blockchain to track intellectual property as well? It's a great question. So it, it it's a great enabler, um, you know, together with blockchain to track information in a uh, verifiable way. Yeah, because I mean, you could track it today, but what black blockchain really does is it gives you that verifiable, you know, um, authentication. And, you know, one of the other interesting concepts we see down the road is if you think of different people creating, being part of that creative uh, environment development process, we see with blockchain down the road, you'll be able to attribute the sale and the value of that product to all the different people that have worked on that um, mm. garment, because now you'll have a digital thread. Now we're still a little ways from that, but the, the base technology is there. And so that'll open up some, some really interesting options for how people work together to you know, monetize their, their creative power. Are you looking at integrating with, with a couple of the different fashion blockchain companies? I know, um, Luxo is one of them, and um, there's a bunch of them that, that are kind of playing in the field and, and starting to get the bigger companies attached to them. Yeah, so I mean, we're one of the things you know we do uh, a lot of at Gerber. Although we've been around uh, quite a while, we we work with uh, a number of startups, and uh, we do that because you know, a we know um, there there are areas that we're not going to cover. Um, you know, ever maybe. And um, the other thing is startups do bring a fresh perspective of how to solve certain problems. And um, they like working with Gerber because we've got a huge customer base and, you know, they, it can help them also. So we found this very fruitful, um, you know, in terms of not just, you know, things like blockchain, but also, you know, there are a lot of AI related um, companies too that are trying to automate some of the heavy lifting around, you know, design or, or other processes. And so, yeah, we're, you know, you know, some companies that we haven't met yet, we're always open to engaging with, um, with some of those. Right now, there's so many um, companies suffering financially and will be operating on a string really as they're moving forward. So I'm assuming the PLM system is the core for everything else that you offer to work off of. But whether or not, like what are, what, what becomes affordable for them and what becomes possible and how are you going to be able to help them? That's actually a great question. And so coming, um, you know, we've, one of the things, you know, we've, I think done well over the last year uh, during the pandemic was to, you know, be agile ourselves. And frankly, you know, the whole digital transformation meant that we also had to change how, how we work. So you mentioned PLM. One of the things we've done is we've really, um, upgraded that technology to be much easier to adopt and, and cloud enabled. So in the past, you know, I remember six years ago when I started at Gerber, a PLM implementation would take 18 months to implement and cost millions of dollars. Today, we've got it fully cloud enabled. You can be up and running in a few weeks and an upgrade costs you nothing because it all happens you know, with the same infrastructure. And um, so the time to deploy and adopt solutions has become much easier. So that's one factor that we focus on. How do we, we call this, how do we remove the friction points for technology adoption? 3D is another example. I mean, how do you keep making it easier for people to use the technology? Because if it provides great value, that's good. But if it's hard to get there, and frankly, 3D still today in general for, for any company, any tool is not as easy as it really should be um, in the future. But 
Um, so that's one area that we're focused on. The other thing we've learned, though, we've done is um, during the pandemic, for example, one of our focus initiatives was just to help people switch from making clothes to making PPE, you know, personal protective equipment, because everybody needed gowns and masks. And for companies to stay alive and keep their production running, nobody was really buying, you know, clothes, at least not in the beginning. Um, but everybody needed masks and, and, and gowns for, for hospitals. So we helped about, I think it was over 1,700 companies in the end globally to switch their production over. And so that was just a, it's, it's, you know, an example for sometimes you have to just think about what really is the biggest priority for your customers right now. And, you know, when it's surviving and, and making something, right, you got to shift, right? They weren't buying, you know, PLM. And so, in fact, some of these tools we provided at no charge to them to be able to then switch to production, but they needed other things from us, like some consulting and some production equipment. Um, so that's one. And what we've also developed out of that is um, a process we call a digital readiness assessment. So we'll spend an hour, you know, initially it's just an hour, and we have a little questionnaire too with, with the company and say, okay, explain to us you know, which tools you've adopted, you know, what part of the value chain are you covering? Um, and the, the goal is to identify where's the biggest bang, you know, biggest return for them to invest, right? Because there are a lot of technology options. That doesn't mean you should be doing all of it. And so what we try to identify is where's really the biggest value, you know, bite something off, get it implemented. And then once you've reaped some of the benefits, it's always easier then to go to the next step. And you can still develop a vision for, you know, where do I want to be in a few years? But, you know, that's one of the ways we try to, um, Kathy, work with companies to say, okay, understand, you know, what's the biggest priority for you. And then we've created some new, you know, um, financial models too, where, you know, you have subscriptions or leasing that, you know, don't require all the upfront investment. And so between all of those things, we've gotten to a much quicker return on investment for companies. And that's what it really takes for them to be able to, to invest and, and save money and, and be successful. And the impact of the PPE program uh, was really substantial because factories that had closed due to COVID were able to reopen and bring their employees back to work once they had been set up to manufacture um, gowns or masks or body bags or face some shields. of the other items that were needed, shields, face shields. Yeah. So it was a, it was a very important project. That's amazing that you were able to give that support. So I'm sure that opened up, um, you know, just a lot more exposure for you also. Yeah. And really we supported not just Gerber customers, but, you know, anybody that came to us that needed help, we helped. It definitely pushed us out of our comfort zone, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's what it takes, you know, you, you get a little uncomfortable and try new things out and that, you know, then, you know, results in good things, not just for you, for your customers, but uh, everybody involved. And so that was a great example for that. Say somebody's going to start a fashion line and they're going to have a, a small studio with three people in it. What do they invest in in terms of Gerber products um, to get started without biting off more than they can chew? So first of all, sometimes we tell them, don't invest in anything. Here are some people that have the tools that you can work with to get you going, right? That may be one, one way to start it. Because, you know, Forming partnerships is actually a really important part of, you know, how, how to grow your business. So that doesn't just apply to us, but it applies to others. And so one of the things we also, you know, learned from the pandemic is, you know, if you can network people, you know, if you can match make, 
um, and that helps them to get to the next level, then they will be able to afford to the next level of their own technology. But sometimes you just say, look, you know, you need production. Here are five factories that can make the type of garment that you're making. You need some patterns. Yes, we can give you, you know, typically pattern making is one of the first technical tools that you really need to make a garment well. But there are a bunch of pattern makers out there, also ones that uh, use Gerber software or other software that, that you can tap into. And so we also believe in these networks are gonna be more and more important where people will have more platforms and ways that they can collaborate with each other. So sometimes it's, you no, know, don't invest in anything at all, but here's some people you can, you can talk to. And then hopefully your business will grow to the level that you can then invest and we can help you further. Are you seeing more collaborative factories emerging? Yeah, actually, that is one of the things I, I have watched over the last, um, I would say, couple of years, but especially more recently, where you have, um, you know, one, one example that comes to mind is um, uh, in, in Arizona, there's a, um, a group called Fabric, which um, helps, uh, I think it's a couple hundred designers that they have in their network, where they centrally help, you know, provide design support services, production support services and work with the designers and designers can come in and leverage that infrastructure and basically get help, you know, turning their creative ideas into real products. And so we do see more, and there's some startups around that that are, you know, looking at some very interesting concept. Uh, another one is called Refashioned, um, uh, out in New Refashioned York, actually, Refashioned OS, yeah, you might yeah, have Lisa. Uh, Lisa, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we support them, you know, Lisa and Eric um, a lot. They've got a, Great vision. So, um, you know, it's not just, you know, what can you sell them, you know, right now it's, you know, how do we help them get their vision to reality? And so, you know, networking a lot with people, but, you know, companies like Refashioned or Fabric are, are really thinking about this more as a network of people working together rather than, you know, silos of, of uh, different companies. Right. And they also have to decide, you know, what part of the value chain they they want to own in-house. Um, we talked to a lot of different startups where individuals had, had come from a specific di dis discipline in the industry. Um, and that's the, the part of the value chain that they've mastered. They can keep and own that and, and then outsource other tasks. So it'll vary by company. Mm -hmm. For the startups, um, how open are you to collaboration? Do you have open APIs or, or do you have APIs they have to request access to, to to interface with your technology to build stuff? So there's the business side and there's the technical side, Charles. The, um, from a business perspective, first of all, you know, we've put in place a, a partner program where um, you know, one thing is being able to you know, exchange software. So um, by the way, Savitude's another startup we're working with right now. They're around... Uh, AI-based design. And so, for example, um, you know, we have a base agreement where we can you know, use their software to better understand how does it fit with our systems, and they get a copy of, of you know, Acumark 2D and 3D so they can develop and integrate their um, technology into ours. Um, then, yes, there, there's a technical component. Um, you know, some products have pretty simple interfaces. I mean, it's even text-based, you know, um, file exchange. And all the way to sophisticated APIs on the PLM side where you can, you know, we've got the API documentation that you can plug into. Um, so there's the technical components, but then we also have, you know, a base marketing agreement. You know, some of these companies I mentioned, we, 
um, agreed, uh, we have a basic uh, marketing template where we say, okay, let's do some webinars and thought leadership together, right? You're, you're working on a topic that's very complimentary to Gerber and vice versa. Let's go, you know, talk, get out and, and, and you know, share um, with people what's possible, what can be done today. And then uh, the third component is we work on, you know, proofs of concepts with them. Um, you know, you can write up agreements and have partnerships and do press releases and it all sounds great and then it goes nowhere. So it's always great to find a real use case, right? And um, we mentioned our office in New York. It's it's really, it's our innovation center. What we have there is we have a, a micro factory setup where you can make products on demand, right? So and we got to show you, Kathy, because you're close. Wow, so, yeah, I saw that on your website. And, and um, but it's also a lab for us because like, for example, with Savitude, and we just did a little integration of their tool into that workflow. So you can pick a design AI based with their tool and then actually it runs through the process and you can print cut and sew it in our center. And so with these proof of concepts, you can now go to brands and, and companies and say, look, here's how it works, right? You don't have to believe a PowerPoint, send us some patterns or whatever you have, and we'll actually make something for you, right? Wow. Um, and then that can then lead to an actual, you know, pilot project with a customer. And so it's a much more um, engaged way um, to work across the whole spectrum from your partners all the way through you know, our customers, the brand and the manufacturers, you actually try to do more smaller proof of concepts rather than selling a huge, you know, engagement or project. And, and then, you know, it takes forever to close because there's a lot of money at stake and, and the results may or may not be there. Right. So try and de-risk de technology investments for companies is one of the other ways we, we try to work in a, in a lean agile way. And it helps the brands because it, it takes it from being a theoretical idea where maybe they had been discussing internally about an on-demand offering and expanding business models. Um, but when they can actually go to the Innovation Center and see it real, tangible, with output, um, it allows their own internal teams to have more valuable conversations. Right, like, oh my God, we have to change that. <laughs> Yeah, and they can see that it's possible, it's achievable right. to have right. that set up. Yeah, and sometimes, I mean, you do the virtual simulation, which is great, by the way. I mean, 3D already helps avoid a lot of these physical samples. But in the end, sometimes you just want to still make it and make it very quickly and easily, right? And so rather than having to wait weeks and weeks, you know, being able to- Yeah, we did a, another collaboration with an Adobe substance artist in Brazil where he developed uh, several textile print concepts um, and we were, and of course simulated them in 3D, but we were able then to actually create the physical garment. Wow. So where is this innovation um, center? It's in your office? It's in your office? Yeah, it's uh, in the Hudson Yards. Um, so, oh, okay. it, oh. and it's uh, actually the Sterrett Lehigh building on the 19th floor. We've got uh, 19,000 square feet up there and a beautiful terrace. Um, but uh, about, I would say about um, not quite half of it, maybe you know a third of it in one corner, we actually have a, a factory line. So we have a, a digital printer from Cornet. We have a, a cutter, um, Gerber cutter, um, and a, you know, an area with sewing, and then obviously a number of servers with, with software. Um, and we can actually, it's like a mini factory. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons we put an actual working system 
in place with all these partners is because we found that there's a lot of digital talk, but at some point it's just, you know, people just feel like it's noise, right? Digital this, digital that, 3D, and, and it's just human nature, right? At some point you just have overload. And here with this, we can bring people in, we can walk you through the whole process and it's happening, you know, while you're there. So within an hour, we can make you, you know, so when you come, we'll snap a picture, a couple pictures, and we'll make you address uh, personalized yeah, to you. So there's a, a front Charles end. Gets a suit. <laughs> there's a front end where um, you can use the 3D look application to get your measurements um, and go through an order process where you can choose the style preferences of the garment, uh, your preferred textile print, uh, and then your custom order goes through the whole process. The digital print file is generated, printed, cut, and sewn. Right on site, so it's a great end-to-end -end workflow. So I know there's a 362 million dollar acquisition on the table from Lectra, which which there's a vote I think in a few weeks. So you probably can't talk too much about that. Um, but then in, in terms of what that will allow you to do, can you address yeah, that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I can talk. I mean, about what what's public, and it's actually not that complicated. So. Uh, we've, you know, signed or Electra has signed uh, an agreement with our owners, which is a company called American Industrial Partners. So we're fully owned by a private equity firm today. And, um, you know, both companies agreed to, um, you know, essentially technically it's Electra buying all of the shares of Gerber and we'll be combining the two companies. Um, it's been approved by various entities, including you know, Works Council in France, you know, which is an important thing for Electra. And, um, you know, on our end, um, in the U.S., there's still uh, antitrust approval. That's pretty, you know, standard procedure um, that this needs to go through. We expect that to be cleared end of this month, May. And then as of June, we should be uh, one combined company. And um, a little bit on the background as to why and, and what it means, you know, in, in this industry, and I talked about it, you know, where there's so much technology and also, frankly, investment needed from our side to, to help. Uh, drive this transformation. Uh, both Lectra and, and Gerber have shared a you know pretty um, aligned vision of digital transformation and bringing together this entire you know workflow from design all the way through production. And so we feel it's really going to enable us to move even faster, right? So we're not thinking of this as you know one technology replacing the other. On the contrary, it's you know how do we combine forces to really continue to drive that acceleration, you know, to, to implement a lot of these things that, you know, we, we've been talking about today and, and do it even faster. So hopefully as of June, we'll uh, be able to, you know, roll up our sleeves even more and start that journey. Like, like any integration, there's going to be some, some work to get done, but, you know, we're all very focused on making sure this is, you know, a great thing for our customers and we're just, you know, stronger, faster together. Mary, I saw that you've been doing a bunch of videos on uh, Instagram, uh, I think YouTube as well. Uh, where you, Facebook. You talk to the customers and Facebook. Yeah. Um, can you talk about you, your experience with that and, and what it's been like to kind of be the video face of the company for a while? Yeah, well, so I've got a long history with Gerber. I've been uh, for 33 years um, with Gerber, working on AccuMark since release one. Um, so I've been through the whole history with our, our current CAD platform. 
Um, and we started developing a 3D solution later than uh, some other uh, companies out there that also offer 3D solutions for the apparel industry. Um, and, you know, we do have a very large install base with our Acumark CAD system. Um, so there are many pattern making users out there uh, that can benefit from adopting 3D. So I've just been working towards encouraging our install base to look to 3D as a solution to help them accelerate their development, uh, their pattern development process, as well as the product development process. Um, there's so many benefits to using 3D um, and getting to uh, a process where you can iterate faster and get commitment to design faster, um, all within the end-to-end -end solution and the, the pattern design solution that they use every day. I'll just add Are to you that little bit. Are you people come out of the schools with 3D design experience already? Uh, is it easier for people who, who say come out of FIT or Parsons with some 3D training? to get into it than people who've been doing it traditionally? Yeah, and we have all, all types of users. We have hundreds of schools um, that are Accumark customers and teach Accumark and 3D to their students. Um, and then we have traditional users that have been working on Accumark for 20 or 30 users themselves. So we have user types all across um, the experience level. Um, and more and more schools understand that they really do need to offer a 3D today to their students so that those students are equipped when they get into the industry. Mary, as you've been talking to people through those platforms, um, have they been talking back? Have you been getting uh, different feedback than you normally would when you go through social media to, to talk to your customers? Um, I don't get a lot of questions in that environment, um, but I do also do a free Saturday morning classes. A year ago, when COVID started um, March last year, you know, I figured we're all stuck at home, so we might as well find a way to, to be productive. And a lot of people have trouble in their, their Monday to Friday schedule to break away and, and learn a new technology. So we started a Saturday morning session and I've had well over a hundred attendees to these sessions. Um, and that's a great interactive environment where people can ask questions. They have an opportunity to um, you know, learn the new technology at their pace, and I can really, uh, you know, hold their hands as they go through the process. So that's been a great um, opportunity for folks. Thank you both so much for coming and talking to us on the show. It's been wonderful talking to you, and we hope you'll come back and, and be part of the show again in the future because Gerber really is so much a part of how the fashion business works, and, and that's certainly what our show's about. Yeah, absolutely. Happy happy to. Thanks again for having us. And Maybe we'll do it again in a, in a few weeks or a couple of months when I, we can talk more about the, the combined Lectra update. And uh, again, you know, Kathy or anybody, frankly, in the audience house, if you want to 
visit our innovation center in New York. Uh, we are uh, doing, besides the virtual tours, we're starting to do small in-person tours, you know, as long as it's safe environment, distance and all that, but it's a pretty cool experience and we, we love sharing it. Thank you for listening to American Fashion Podcast. AmericanFashionPodcast.com is our website. You can access over 250 previous episodes by subscribing to our archive on the website. There is also a Be a Guest form on the site where you can reach out to us about being a guest on the show. On Twitter, we're at AFPOD, and on Instagram, we're at American Fashion Show. If you particularly like an episode, please give us a shout out and tag us on social media. Our voicemail line is 646-979-8709, or you can email info at AmericanFashionPodcast.com. But again, if you want to be a guest on the show, please use the Be a Guest form on the website. American Fashion Podcast is produced by Mouth Media Network, audio for business. If your company or organization needs a podcast, reach out to Mouth Media Network podcasts at mouthmedianetwork.com. This and all other episodes are copyrighted by Mouth Media Network. All rights reserved. Subsist, friends. Keep making things beautiful. Remain in force. And we'll talk to you again next week.